Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network, and I'm golf course industry editor Guy Cipriano. We're recording our seventh Greens with Envy. Yeah, our little podcast, I guess, has made it to the second, third grade, whatever grade seven-year-olds are in. Lucky number seven. Yeah, I'm here with our managing editor, Matt Lowell, who actually has a child and knows what age is kids go into what grade but no, anyway it's changed she's three she's in like preschool <laughs> well anyway we're not here to talk about elementary school we're here to talk about what's going on in the industry and some of matt's recent travels i've actually been at home for the last two weeks and matt's been on the road uh so yeah we're recording our, our happy little podcast here this will be our last greens with envy in 2019 right matt correct wow I can't believe we uh, made it through the last four or five months. They were pretty awesome, and this podcast is – we've recorded a lot of them in a short amount of time. Anyway, but before we get going and talking talking about Matt's trip to the Sagenna Business Institute and winter golf here in the cool weather regions, let's do some housekeeping things. Nominations for the 2020 Super Social Media Awards are out. Uh, anybody that you think is awesome on social media, send us an email. You can email me at g. C-I-P-R-I-A-N-O at G-I-E dot net or drop me a DM on, on Twitter with the people that you admire on social media at hashtag GCI tweet up 20 at the golf industry show, which will be 3 p.m. Wednesday, January 29th at Aqua Trolls booth 1617 in Orlando. We will be giving awards in six categories. The John Kaminsky Leadership Award, Best Overall Use of Social Media, Best Use of Twitter, Best video, outstanding idea shared on social media, and that's a new one, and that's one mm-hmm. we're really excited about, and the Conservation Award. And you have, if you're listening to this on the day the podcast drops, Tuesday, December 10, you have three weeks to get these nominations, and New Year's Eve is the deadline, although our office is closed in the afternoon on New Year's Eve, and we're closed on New Year's Day. So if you sneak it in on January 1st, we might still see it. But December 31st, don't take any chances. No, we'll be around. I'll be around. I'll be wired, I'm sure. Uh, an exciting New Year's Eve for me would be getting like 25 nominations for Super Social Media Awards. So. An exciting New Year's Eve for me would be going to bed at 1030. Yeah, there, there are no college football playoff games this New Year's <laughs> Eve, so I really have nothing to, no reason to, to stay up. But anyway, we're excited about the uh, GCI Tweet Up 20 Uh like I said, 3 p.m. Wednesday, January 29th at Aqua Trolls booth 1617. There'll be a happy hour going at 2 p.m. And we learned from the Aqua Trolls folks, too, that the celebration will be going until 5 p.m. So there's three hours there where you can come down to the Aqua Trolls booth and meet your real-life friends and meet, meet your uh, social media friends who will become your real-life friends and see the people that are awesome on social media in the golf industry get honored for it. Another thing is our 2000. 19 turf heads takeover issue has gone live digitally that should be hitting your mailboxes here in the next few weeks the next week or two we're super excited about the issue in addition to our normal columnist we had 12 industry contributors and let's just say it turned out pretty damn awesome matt best turf heads issue yet i've read all four uh read the first three that were before my time here at gci uh in preparation for the hashtag uh, Turfheads takeover Twitter campaign retweeted a quote from each of the first 45 stories. And to take nothing away from the first three, this one is just, it's jam packed. It's great. 
if you enjoyed any of the first three, you're going to love our December 2019 issue, Turf Heads Takeover 4. Yep. Fantastic and, issue. And we'll be doing a Turf Heads Takeover number five in 2020. So if you read it and you're like, man, I really wish I would have uh, contributed an article, we'll take submissions as soon as you have them. So we're already looking forward to the fifth one. We're trying to think a step ahead. We always do think a step ahead. And uh, if you ever have a idea or want to go on a, a rant or have a story that you want to share about something that happened on your team or something inspiring that you've seen from someone else, we're always looking for the submissions. We will help you with the writing process. We'll make it as easy as possible. And here's the thing, Matt. Superintendents and golf course architects and golf course builders and researchers are way better writers than they think they are. We did next to no editing, certainly structurally. No. Maybe some grammatical stuff here or there. That was it. And that, that's what makes golf course industry what it is, is we're authentic. We keep things as it is. There's no agenda to fit. Uh, we let people write from the heart. The only thing that fit, we had to trim a few words here and there to get them to fit to the page. Uh, that was it. Yeah, and that's a reoccurring monthly problem for mm-hmm. us. We we uh, sometimes have too much good content to, to fit into a print issue, and that's something we're working on in 2020. I think we're going to have bigger print issues, and uh, we, we certainly uh, highly recommend that it, if you want to get written or published in a national publication, to, to send us something, and we'll work with you on it. All right, let's go to the Sagenna Business Institute. Matt was just in North Carolina for four days last week? With the drive, it was about four days. Yeah, he spent four days of his life going to this event. And the first thing I want to ask you, Matt, is what were your impressions of the event? And tell us about some of the people you met there. So you had been there last year. My first impressions were I just turned 36 years old. When I was in college, I majored in journalism with a specialization in magazine, or uh, the, the the track was magazine. My minor was English. My specialization was history. So all of these useful but not that useful in real life things. Going through these, I should have taken more business classes. That was first and foremost. And second was uh, even if I'd taken more business classes, the professors probably wouldn't have been as great as the six who led the Syngenta Business Institute, all of them. Uh, current Wake Forest professors, or in one case, uh, I believe the former head of the business school as a whole. Just fascinating stuff, great stuff. And they added some new tracks this year, or at least one new track this year, because of what previous attendees had suggested, which you adapt, you change, you update. Fantastic. And you quickly realize when you're at the event that Wake Forest is a prestigious university for a reason. You know, I realized maybe 10 minutes of being down there last year that that this was a special opportunity to sit in and take three days of business classes from professors at such a highly regarded university. And it's interesting because we don't hear the, besides the Jenna Business Institute time, we don't hear a lot about Wake Forest in the turf industry. It's not a land grant right. institution. You think North Carolina, you think NC State. Yes. Probably first. Uh, you think Clemson if you go beyond in the Carolinas. Yep. And then obviously schools like Ori Georgetown and others in the in North and South Carolina. But no, not Wake Forest, you're right. Yeah, and one of the things that people don't realize about Wake Forest, it's not actually in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Wake Forest, North Carolina is close to Raleigh, and that's where the university originally was. In fact, Arnold Palmer, when he played golf for Wake Forest, he was in the Raleigh area, not towards uh, Winston Salem or not in Winston Salem where it is now. So that's a that's a Division One school, Division One athletic programs that what fifty years ago. 
picked up and moved it its entire location. Thanks to lots and lots of money from three prominent families, a lot of tobacco money uh, in the 60s. And yeah, move move west, we'll build you a brand new university. Yeah, and it's worked out well for them, and it's worked out extremely well for the superintendents that have been to it. I believe this was the 11th anniversary of the Sagenna Business Institute. Yeah, the, the 11th. I, I was yep. there during the, 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 the 10th anniversary, so that event has some staying power. You figure 25 superintendents a year, roughly 25 yep. to 30, so there have been you know, over 300 superintendents. Yep. If they're not at 300, they're fast they're approaching. pretty darn close to it yep. that have been through the uh, the program. Uh, what were your thoughts about the curriculum and how did the material that was being presented to the superintendents resonate with the audience? So there was so much great stuff, and I actually have the syllabus in front of me, included uh, leading across cultures and generations. And that was fantastic. That's exactly what it sounds like, but it dived super deep into about three hours. Uh, work-life balance, which was scheduled for an hour. It went about an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes, and it could have been a day. Uh, that was an addition either this year or last year. Did you have that last year, work-life balance? No, that wasn't there last year. And I'm gonna so stop, that's an addition. I'm going to stop you before you continue. What could possibly someone learn about work-life balance in a classroom? To me, that seems like something that you need to experience and deal with on a day-to-day life basis. What, what did you learn in that class? And are there is there an academic side to de- developing a work-life balance? Absolutely. I mean, obviously. With, yeah. with, with uh, Julie Wayne, she was fantastic. Outside of studies and breaking down what is important to you and what you're actually spending time on, you know, are the tasks that you're spending time on truly important to you personally or to you professionally? That was one of the big things. I'm sitting there back there in the back row um, between Mark LaFleur of Syngenta and our good friend Scott of GCM Magazine and, and uh, some other media folks. I'm taking notes. I'm evaluating my life in real time. I'm like, is this really important? Is this really important? Uh, maybe I can eliminate this. Maybe I can restructure this. And it just gets you thinking critically more, I think. And and I didn't have a great chance to dive super, super deep with uh, the 26 attendees about that particular session. But, you know, even if they go back and it takes a few months to implement certain things, there's going to be a difference made because of that session. One of the things that superintendents think or they're led to think that they're the only ones that have work-life balance issues <laughs> that's certainly not the case they do but lots of people do did julie talk about industries that were people really challenged with that did she talk broadly about it and and what was the sense that you got from her is this or is this work-life balance thing something that a lot of people struggle with or is it just a small percentage of working professionals that have have these challenges. I think everybody has it to a degree. I mean, everybody, whether you're working 80 hours a week, 20 hours a week, you have five kids, no kids, married, divorced, single, dating, whatever. I mean, everybody has it to a certain degree. And it's just a matter of looking at it, thinking about it both critically and applying academic studies to your own life and trying to I actually sat there in my room. I couldn't sleep that night. Or was it? No. Yeah, it was that night. And I start breaking down, like, schedules. Like, breaking down the entire day into 30-minute schedules. And I'd done that before, but I hadn't done it in a while. I'm like, I really don't need to do this. I don't really need to do that. I can restructure this. I can add this here. I can create more family time here. 
you know, you have to figure out what's important to you, whether that's work when you're in your 20s, probably, uh, or family as you get into your 30s, or taking more time for yourself and your partner as you get into your 50s, 60s. Was this an interactive session? And if so, what were some of the things that superintendents uh, broadly thought that they could cut out of their lives to, to make more time for other things? I don't have a word count by instructors and participants, but one of the things that was said again and again, it was probably about two-thirds to one-third. About one-third of the conversation and about one-third of the during the education actually came from the participants and what a great panel they were. Uh, 26 from all around the country. We'll get to them in a few minutes. In terms of what they could eliminate, um, of course, I left my binder at home on my kitchen table this morning. It was raining, and it's Monday, so I had to take my three-year-old's bag and uh, coat and a bunch of other random stuff that we take at the beginning of the week. Forgot that. But don't know that we really dived into particulars that could be eliminated uh, it's just a matter of figuring out, like I said, figuring out what's important to you and making sure that correlates with what you're actually spending time on. Julie could explain it a lot better than I could. Well, yeah, that's what she gets paid to do. And that's exactly. What she studies and she probably has her own work-life balance uh, issues studying work-life balance balance for a li- living. But anyway, Matt, Ironic. What, what were some other uh, classes or sessions that stuck out to you that you think really resonated with the golf course superintendents and obviously they all resonated but which ones do you feel that superintendents were super interested in i feel like everything honestly there were six tracks uh after work-life balance there was the first part of the financial management that was with ken midow uh who designed the program more than a decade ago and brought it to Syngenta, former head of the business school at wake forest the second half of that was at the end of the program with robert nash great professor there was an incredible and, – and that was probably the only thing that was really over my head just because I've never made financial orders. I've never built order forms. I've never really looked at economics or, or finance beyond macro and micro 100-level classes in college. Um, I know how to use the inflation calculator. Uh, that's about it. I know how to keep a spreadsheet. Uh, I worked through a worksheet with that, and it's just stuff that needs to be gone back to on my end. But – but a lot of folks were very into those two sessions. Yeah, as somebody who just recently advanced his own career into a managerial position for the first <laughs> time or head managerial position. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh thanks. I guess it, I guess uh that happened a while ago, but what what I was going to say is that you don't get a lot of this as you're coming up through the ranks in any profession. It's pretty much the manager that, that does all the finances and all the business tasks. And uh, the underlings sort of don't give it any thought. And I would say that, and I've tried to do this with you, you know, on slowly and methodically as I learn how to do it is to get you involved. And I, I can't stress enough how important the financial sides are of any job because ultimately a magazine's a business. A golf course is a business. Even running an association is a business. Oh, absolutely. Every, everything, the business element drives the majority of the decisions that are made in your career. And so many people get the managerial positions that are, are not prepared to handle the business side of it. And there's really a, besides the Sagenta Business Institute and maybe a few sessions here and there at, at regional turf conferences and the golf industry show, 
there is a huge educational gap in personnel management and business management in this industry. And it's great that Sagena has made an 11 year commitment to this event. I'm sure it'll go on for a 12th year and hopefully it goes on to a 13th, 14th and 15th year. And that's one thing at golf course industry is we move it forward. We're trying to pivot towards more managerial stories because it's a weakness of a lot of managers. You, like, like we're superintendents are agronomists, right? And they're so damn good at, at picking the right grass varieties and maintaining them and producing elite playing conditions and, and using, um, data to drive decisions in some cases, but the struggles in this industry are related to, to the business of golf and the, the people that are involved in these businesses, whether they're, they're the owners or the, the general manager or the, the board members or the general members or the customers or your crew members. So, uh, is that the sense you're getting to Matt? You know, you, you've been in this industry now since April. Is mm -hmm. that the sense you're getting that that's really the, where the educational gap is? And that's where a lot of superintendents face issues is with, with management and business. Yeah. And that was one of the questions that folks will see in the January issue in the state of the industry mm -hmm. is, is how comfortable are you on a scale of one to 10 with your club's finances? And then the numbers were pretty good. I think the average was probably somewhere in the mid to low sevens on a scale of one to 10. Curiously, each response was was lower than the uh, the one that followed it. So there were more people who said 10, most comfortable, than there were who said, yeah, I'm a nine. More nines than eight, all the way down to more twos than one. So whether that's people overestimating their own abilities or people who genuinely know their club's finances, I think bare minimum, bare minimum, know what's going on financially with your club, know what's going on with your maintenance budget, and know what stuff costs. I mean, bare minimum, that's all. Even if you don't get into the deep dives of, is it better now to rent or buy uh, or lease? Is it better to get something now than it would be in three years? You know, all these variables, and there are charts that, that break it down. I mean, Robert Nash on, on the last afternoon, holy moly, the equations that he did were so fun. But even if you don't get into that, just know what stuff costs and know what you're working with. I think bare minimum. You have to know financially what you're doing. And if it's anything like it was last year, the event's called the Sagena Business Institute, but really it's a business and personnel management institute. Would you oh, say absolutely. the time was probably split 50-50 between finances and managing people? So the second day, whole great three-hour, actually probably three-and-a-half-hour session on negotiations, actually got a Christmas game idea for my mother-in-law because we have Christmas Eve with about 35 people, and I want to see utter chaos reign. Uh, there was a great, great game that uh, Bill Davis introduced. Tools for managing employees, and that could have been a whole day. That was with Sherry Moss. Incredible. Uh, and she actually came back the next day. So that was three and a half. That was probably close to, close to six hours. Could have been a full day. Uh, and the roundtables discussions that night, there were a few tracks. I stayed in actually managing uh, personnel. Some great, great examples from there in terms of motivation, um, just trying to keep yourself up, keep your employees up, keep your crew up. So there was a ton on how to manage yourself, work-life balance, and how to manage the folks you're working with and who were working for you. Absolutely. Uh, 
how engaged were the superintendents? Were they taking a lot of notes? Were they using handwritten notes? Were they using iPads to take notes? Did you sense a lot of note taking and and superintendents doing um, what they needed to do during the, the three and a half days in North Carolina to take back something to their facility and implement it? Did you see that? If type anybody of continued learning, if anybody was taking notes on an iPad, I didn't see it. But I would say every one of those twenty six guys were taking notes pretty copiously through the entire session. And that, that's one thing I would urge anyone that attends any conference is it's not what happens at the conference, right, Matt? It's what you do with the knowledge that you obtain at the conference. Mm-hmm. We all go to these conferences. We come back enlightened. We come back with great ideas. And this isn't just in golf course maintenance. This is in every field. And then we move on to the next task and never really get around to doing anything that we learned at the conference. And that's why, mm-hmm. to me, note-taking is such a powerful thing. And you're not obviously going to do everything that you learn at the, at the conference. That's not realistic. But if you take maybe two to three key points and try them at home, that's how you get the most out of your time at, at a conference. Because this is time away from your facility. It's mm-hmm. time away from your, your family. These things are not just an excuse to go and drink with your buddies and maybe make a a friend that you can text to on college football weekends. These are serious business yeah. trips, and, and there was some of that too. Yeah, and that's not. I'm not but saying that's bad. There's that's not time, why you there, go. There, there's a time for that. But, yeah. but these are serious events, and everyone in the golf industry is incredibly fortunate that there are events like the Sagenta Business Institute and Green Start Academy, and Golf Industry Show, and the Carolinas GCSA Show, and the New England Show, and the Hawaii. Uh, the Ohio show and the New Jersey show and the, the New York Turfgrass conference. I can go on and on. You do not realize Rocky mountain one. I'm, I know mm-hmm. I'm going to leave people out. Florida has them. Georgia has them almost ev- everywhere. West Virginia, where I spoke a few weeks ago. If guys, he's rattling off all these great shows leaves yours out. It's not because it's not a great show. No, I, no I'm trying to make a point here is that you are so lucky to have these opportunities in the golf industry, take advantage of them and make the most out of each one. Because most jobs and fields do not have this type of mm-hmm. continuing education. Our field has very, very little of it, Matt. There are other industries here that our parent company, GIE Media, serves and does publications for that do not have the type of education that golf has. There are some incredible opportunities out there to enlighten yourself and advance your own career, and it's on you to take advantage of them because nobody's going to maximize those opportunities for you. I mean, they're, they're podcasts, they're webinars, they're print magazines, they're digital magazines, there's information coming out on social media. You have a very tough job to do if you're in golf course maintenance. There are a lot of challenges and struggles, but you have a lot of ways to get better if you're self-motivated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No argument for me on any of that. I mean, you could just take podcasts and not plugging this one in particular, but podcasts and field days. I forgot and, to mention those. Yeah. Podcast and Twitter alone and you'd be off to a good start. But you have to go to go to your local show, you know, apply for, for events like these. I was showing the the syllabus to a friend in the building, uh, my old friend Michelle, who I've known half a lifetime now, who is the editor of Cannabis Business Times. She literally took a, a photo of the syllabus to try to uh, get ideas for some of their education coming up. Yeah, it, it just it, it really is amazing. And if you have a crew member or an assistant or a summer worker that shows any interest whatsoever in golf course maintenance, 
introduce them to some of these continuing education mm-hmm. tactics because it could pay dividends for you. Not everyone can afford to go to a four-year school. Not everyone can go to a, even a two-year school. School isn't for everyone, but there are ways to help educate your staff members that maybe promote them upwardly into technician or assistant positions to help you fill labor gaps. And if you do have really, really promising college kids on your staff, maybe take a page from the book of Scott Rettman. Uh, he's at Walnut Creek Country Club in South Lyon, Michigan. During the roundtable, uh, the second night, we're talking about managing and motivating employees. One of the things he does, and you'll love this, and I think I mentioned it to you, he had one really great college kid. At the end of the summer, kid goes back off to school. Scott writes him a handwritten note thanking him for the hard work, how much he's appreciated, puts in a crew photo, goes a long way, and a little gift card that he got from his vendor, maybe 25 bucks to Amazon. Doesn't matter what it's for. Within the next year, year and a half, that one guy brought back seven friends, has a crew of eight college kids, and he does it now for every single one of them. Uh, And there was somebody else who chimed in, well, if you write them for college kids, and guy, you're a big handwritten thank you notes guy, is write them to the partners of your crew, you know, wives, girlfriends, in some cases, husbands, boyfriends, because uh, you keep your crew away from their family, uh, early mornings, long weekends, maybe you have a tournament and it's a whole week. Thank them, too, for managing the house, for keeping things in order back home while, you know, your crew is working 70, 80, sometimes maybe 90 hours or more in a really demanding week. Yep, and we have that same culture here at Golf Course Industry. Uh, As a manager, and I mentioned I'm a new manager, to have somebody that can take care of the day-to-day tasks when you're gone so you can focus on the event or the conference or your vacation or your time off is huge because the only way that you're going to achieve that work-life balance that we just talked about is if you can trust your employees to do the job when you're not there. Because Delegate. You cannot be there all the time. Yeah. And there were guys who were on the phone between most sessions, presumably back to their clubs, making sure everything's going well, but nobody at any point in the conference said anything like, oh, my God, this is going awful back home. I can't trust anybody. And and nobody left, obviously, well, either. And everybody that's stayed huge the too. entire time. And you brought up a great point about superintendents doing that when you're at the Sagenta Business Institute. If you're gone for a work event... Don't just shut down for four days. Communicate no, with your team at absolutely. home. At least have an idea of what's going on. Uh, because if a situation arises, you're ultimately going to be the one making the call. And also, just don't go to a work conference and do whatever for four days and not show gratitude for the people that are allowing you to mm-hmm. go to that conference. Because you won't be able to go to that conference if you don't have somebody reliable back at the workplace taking care of things. Right. Right. So hopefully I do that as a boss when I'm gone, Matt. You do. You keep good contact. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the communication so huge. Business is huge. Management is huge. And that's the stuff that's ultimately going to dictate your success in a managerial position even more than your technical skills. Because when you become a manager, you're expected to have the technical skills. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything builds off of that brick by brick. By brick, by brick. So last thing about your time in North Carolina, 
How would you characterize the superintendents you met? Where were they from? And what were some of the challenges you sense they have? And just what were, were they like collectively as a group personality-wise? So I didn't do a full private, non-private breakdown, but there were some very, very elite clubs represented just by state, uh, five in California. Now, one of those California guys was Mike Gracie, who just moved from Desert Mountain outside Phoenix to Redlands uh, in Southern California, I think near Santa Bar- uh, near Inland Empire, I'm sorry, uh, three or four weeks ago. Four from Florida, a couple from Georgia, a couple from Ohio, and then one each from Arizona, Connecticut, Illinois, Kansas, Maryland, Michigan, Missouri, Nebraska, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Texas, Wisconsin. So pretty much all over the country. You probably know this, Matt, but maybe a lot of our listeners don't know. Did you know that the Inland Empire is one of the 20 biggest metro areas in the United States? Well, I write trivia. So yeah, it was also home to a random unaffiliated museum for McDonald's, which is really, really weird to well, go into. Yeah, and we probably have people here wondering what the heck is the In- Inland Empire? Well, it's the, it's a, a region of California. It's San Bernardino mm-hmm. County, which I believe land-wise is the largest county in it's the huge. continental United States. Mm-hmm. And the cities there that you, you maybe have heard of are San Bernardino mm-hmm. and Riverside. Yep, And it also has some of the Worst traffic in the United States. Well, all of Southern California does. My sister actually lives in San Bernardino County, and she lives near Death Valley. So that goes to tell you how big that county is. It pretty much goes from Death Valley to the eastern edges of L.A. Yeah, but that was the breakdown. Um, There were a few younger guys in their 20s, guys like Kenton Brunson, who's still at uh, Desert Mountain, guys like Ross Nuola, who... My gosh, he's been all over. He's at uh, the Madison Club in La Quinta, California right now. That's in the uh, low desert. That's right outside of San Bernardino County in the Palm right. Springs area. But there were guys who, you know, who'd applied a few times, who finally made it. Guys in their, you know, late 40s, early 50s. Um, Chris Carson uh, over from uh, near Rutgers. Uh, he's at, uh, which club's he at? Echo Lake, I Echo believe. Lake, thank you. Uh, Mel Waldron. One of the many, many great clubs in New Jersey. Yep. You have uh, you know, a great, great guy who I probably had four meals with over the course of a few days. In uh, I'm going through the roster here. Apologies. Uh, Mel Waldron, who's at Horton Smith Golf Course. That's in Missouri. Okay, man, I'm going to test your trivia knowledge. Oh, well, fire away. Well, who is Horton Smith, and why is he significant in golf? <sighs> I can't remember. I really can't. He's from the Ozarks in Missouri, and he, he won the first Masters. Oh, there you go. There you go. So he's got a municipal golf course named after him and is in the area where he grew up. How awesome is that? That was brought up and I just escaped my memory. But We actually have a book in our golf course industry office about the history of golf in the Ozarks that one of our contributors, Lee Carr, brought, brought to us from one of her uh, summer trips to that region. So I've been reading that book recently. That's I've gotten Horton Smith on my mind. But there was no... Real consistent, other than the fact that there were 26 folks and they were all white men, and that's that's an issue that, you know, Syngenta is looking at just to try to get more diversity into the industry as a whole. And that'll take a long yeah, time. That takes that takes an effort. Yep. There have been very few minorities, including women, who've attended the event in 11 years. Other than that, there were not a lot of uh, overarching similarities other than a drive for the industry and a passion to learn. Uh, folks at different points in their career, folks with different job titles, folks with 
little bit different levels of responsibility. Um, it was just a matter of having the drive to apply and to get a little bit lucky in the application process. Because and, – and if you are one of the folks who applied and you didn't get in, it's only about a third of the folks who apply who actually get in. This year it was about 26 of, I think, 80. Um, and some folks, like I said, did apply three, four, five times before they got in. And this was one of the things I've asked uh, Mark LaFleur and Stephanie Schwanke from Syngenta. You know, has there been any blowback from folks? You know, do they stop using products or do they just uh, the relationship deteriorate a little bit? And there's none of that. Uh, one of the superintendents who had applied a handful of times who I asked this question of, I told him I wouldn't name him uh, for this purpose. But he said, you know, frustrated, sure. But it doesn't change the relationship. It makes you want it a little bit more the next year. And when you get the call, you're very happy and surprised. Here's what I would tell somebody. If if there's an application process for an industry event like the Sagenta Business Institute or Green Start Academy or some of the others, don't wait until the last minute to put your application <laughs> together and take your application seriously. You're just not going to get selected to the event because you work for Big Name Club A or Big Name Club B or Big Name Club C. People – read these applications, they spend dozens upon dozens of hours looking at these, do a good job with it, act like you want it if you want to get selected to one of these events. Mark took a pile, Mark LaFleur and Jenna took a pile of applications to the beach this year. That's yep. how committed he is to building the best roster of folks for this. And there's no doubt in my mind that Mark did that because he's one of the people in the industry that cares about his job to the highest level possible yeah him and stephanie yeah and there, there are many folks like that with a lot of the awesome companies in, in this industry and to guy's point on taking the application seriously there were a lot of applications that were just whether it's it's not a lack of passion for the industry it's a lack of maybe knowing how to best express it you know i've done this and this and this i want to learn this and this and this i think it would be good for this and this and that's not much of a story, and that really doesn't sell. And that may not be the fault of the applicant in terms of what he or she is doing, but just in terms of how they're expressing themselves. And if you ever need writing help or eyes on something, Matt and I are, are, are available. We're always looking to help our readers out. G. Cipriano at GIE.net mm-hmm. and M. Lowell at GIE.net. And I'm, I'm serious about this. If you need any writing help, whether you're submitting an application or article even if it's not an article to golf course industry if it's for your local chapter publication we are more than willing to to help that's what we do to serve the industry among many other things you're probably a better writer than you think you are if you're listening to this podcast yep so winter is approaching winter is approaching winter is winter is coming as they said on game of thrones for seven or eight seasons and winter is one of those odd things because you get to, to december and everybody's like winter's here and technically winter doesn't come until december 21st correct is it that or the 22nd one or the other yeah one of the we don't have our producer patrick williams here to instantly fact check that but he was on a call doing his other job yeah he was actually doing his <laughs> uh his work for greenhouse management and produce grower not his golf course industry side gig and winter is an interesting time all over the country right and here in the midwest and also in the Northeast and parts of the West, winter can be a little bit depressing for a golfer, Matt. You don't get much vitamin D. A lot of the courses are closed. What do you do? 
you just go to Top Golf all winter? I hope not. I hope that's it, it, nothing against Top Golf, but you know you can't subsist on one form alone. And it hurts to not be able to play around or go to the range or do whatever, work on your short game. Nope. So it's why when we get a day like we had yesterday in Northeast <laughs> Ohio, uh, it's something you can't really plan for. But when you see that the temperature is going to go above freezing and get into the 40s, you try to find time to sneak out there. So while I was out uh, with my wife, Carolyn, and our three-year-old, Margot, and some of our friends, the Dieters, came over to help for a little bit, while we were in the backyard, I finally had a chance to mow because every warm day it was raining and every cold day the mower didn't start. Uh, and then I was on the road for four days in North Carolina. So while I was out back, finally giving the lawn one last mow. In December. In On December. In Northeast Ohio, which yep. can have some brutal conditions. <laughs> it was 49 degrees. It, yeah. was, it was enough. We got all the leaves up. We put some in our neighbor Jim's compost pile. We put some out to the curb. Uh, I hope they got picked up today. While I was out doing that, you were... Maybe playing my last round of golf for... What a surprise. 2019. Yep. So Where we were had, you? We had that little opening, and I recently moved last week. I moved from the southeast side of Cleveland to the west side. We'll just call it west side. And anyone that knows Northeast Ohio, which probably isn't a lot of our listeners. The west side of Cleveland is nothing like the east side. The east side has rolling land and some topography and some awesome parks. And it's just a different landscape than the west side, which is tabletop flat. Until you get into the metro parks and there are hills down there. Yes. So I wanted to see what my new golf terrain was going to be like. And I I've played the courses on the west side. So, yeah, I made a game-time decision around 2 p.m. I'm going to go out and play nine holes because this could be the last time of the year we get to do this. I have no more warm weather trips planned for 2019. And went to a course called Big Met, which is part of the Cleveland Metro Parks. The Cleveland Metro Parks have an awesome uh, system. Big Met is in a park called Rocky River Reservation. It border, it's an 18-hole golf course. It's believed to be one of the most played golf courses in Ohio, there's actually a plaque between the putting green and the clubhouse that says it's Ohio's most played golf course. I don't know if that's true. I don't. I haven't seen the the course by course stats in a long time. I'm sure, but at one least at one, one point it was because yeah. the east side of Col- Cleveland is golf rich, and the west side there aren't a lot of options, especially for the public public daily fee golfer. And I thought, oh, the Browns are playing at one o'clock. This is two o'clock on a, on a Sunday. Temperatures in the mid to high forties. I thought I'd go out there and maybe be you know, one of less than 10 wackos. And I get out there, and the place is packed. There are golfers on every single hole. I'm just there by myself. I, I got on. I, I walked nine. I thought I was going to do it in like an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. It took me an hour and 40 minutes, which still is a nice pace of play. Had a blast. You know, It was just great to get out there and play. And this is always a tricky decision, right? Like, do you open your golf course in the winter? Do you close it the whole winter? What's the balance between business and agronomics? And there's no universal answer, right? But Cleveland Metro Parks do keep their courses open. When, when you get that nice mm-hmm. winter day, for the most part, they're all open, or at least the majority of them are open. And as a – yes, I work for an industry publication. I cover the, what golf course superintendents do, but you have no idea how awesome it is when courses in cool weather areas – 
open themselves up for play when you get those warmer than expected December through March days. So thank you to all the golf facilities that open themselves up over the winter. I know it's not easy. I know some people would just rather shut down and not have to worry about players on the course for, for three months. But for some people, playing golf is the best thing in their life. It is a release. It really is. Yep. Some people, even the people that you think have everything in the world, your, your billionaires, your, your athletes, for some of them, going to the golf course each week, each month, each day is the greatest thing they do in their mind. And for us that love golf, that maybe aren't multimillionaires and billionaires, uh, we're so appreciative when we get a chance to play in winter, when you live in a cool weather place and you're not, you know, I'm fortunate. I get to go south for the job. We're going to make some southern trips in January. I'll have mm-hmm. the clubs with me as long as I'm physically able to play. And That's it, another story. it's just awesome to get that, that, that warm day in December, January, or February, where you can go out and play. And thank you to all the, superintendents, course managers, assistant superintendents, facility owners, municipalities, memberships, board of directors, green committees, whoever make that decision to open golf courses on those nicer than expected days. Like I said, I was just happy to get the leaves up and the lawn cut one last time, but you did something a little more fun. So glad you got out there. Well, I don't have a yard, so I really had nothing to mow. And it, it, it just, like I said, you don't realize how much people love this game and how much they're driven by this game until you get those days where it it's, doesn't even seem like it's that great of weather, but compared to what the days were before and what the days are going to be after that day, it's just a special thing to go out there, and it means a lot to a lot of people when the courses are open and in shape to play in the winter. By the time anybody lis- listening to this podcast, it's going to be probably in the 20s in Ohio. So, Yep. We have had <laughs> years recently where we've been able to play golf all 12 months. And yeah, they're golf simulators, they're top golf, but that's not the same as putting the bag on your back or the bag on the uh the the pool cart or the bag on the the motorized cart. Although I do cringe when I see motorized carts on golf courses in the winter because I know how bad that is for the turf. But walking's a little more little easier on the turf when mm-hmm. people are just walking and carrying their own bags, but it's um it's awesome to get outside and, and do it. And also, really, we only have like eight hours of daylight, too. So you figure if you get frost in the morning, maybe you only have that window from like noon to 3 p.m. to get out there and get nine in. Yep. Or 18 or whatever whatever people do. So well, you play it fast. Yeah. and But that's one of the things, moving from the east side of Cleveland to the west side, the, the, the few public golf courses that there are that are you know real quality facilities are a lot more crowded than the ones on the, the east side. So I'll probably be still driving to my old stomping grounds to play some golf. But it was an interesting day, and it was pretty awesome to play golf on Sunday. And you realize that the Browns aren't as popular as people lead you on to believe when there are that many people outside outdoor recreating when they're playing – I think they were playing another Ohio team. They are playing the Bengals. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Well, glad you got out one last time. That's my ode to (laughs) uh, cold month golf. And thanks to everyone that makes it possible. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, Guy, I'll let you wrap up. I'm Matt Lowell, M-A-T-T-L-A-W-E-L-L on Twitter, M-L-A-W-E-L-L at G-I-E dot net. Yeah, and thanks for listening, everybody. It was fun to get this podcast series started this year. We're going to be doing uh, more of these in 2020, and we also have some other series that are in the uh, early stages. We have Off the Course and 
Beyond the Page, uh, two series that Matt has done an excellent job getting started and getting going. We also have our Tartan Talk series that we've been doing now for 41 episodes, so it's approaching its fourth anniversary. And that's crazy to think that it it started with uh, me interviewing Andy Staples at a Chili's in uh, suburban uh, Michigan. That was kind of our first regular podcast series that we got going under this format of Superintendent Radio Network. So uh, keep listening. Uh, tell your friends about Superintendent Radio Network. Tell your colleagues. Uh, we're really looking to, to build this thing and do great things with it in 2020.